Okay, gentlemen, welcome back to Death Watch's Call of Cthulhu campaign, Season 2, Descent into Darkness. I think this is our fifth session, and we just came back from a little bit of a break, so if I'm remembering everybody's plot lines, we have Johan has kind of been in search of the more occult side of things, specifically the eye symbol and the nature of the ritualistic murder, and he has kind of gone astray from his original goal and he's taking a retirement trip up to Moosehead Lake in Maine but he's gotten out of that fugue state and uh, Monroe was in a similar or on a similar path looking into the occult side of things mostly been spending your time in the library at the Hermetic Order of the Silver Twilight uh, Whitmire mm -hmm. you looked into the uh, trying to find the journal from Mr. Dooley and you've stumbled across a lot of corruption and uh, you've kind of maybe made some powerful people angry and you just finished up a ruse to make these powerful people think that you're no longer in Boston and you're currently laying low at the moment and finally Dr. Andrews has been the noir detective of the story rough and tumble interviews with lying people uh, nearly getting roughed up by some uh some street toughs, and you also have become aware that some powerful people are wanting to keep this investigation proceeding exactly as it would if you guys weren't here to make any adjustments to it. Does that all sound pretty right to you guys? Yep. Yeah. Um, the only thing I might add is that the good Dr. Andrews and I had uh, recently talked with um, James Clark. You were going to talk we're with gonna James Clark. We are going to go talk yeah. to him. That's right. We were going to go talk to James Clark, um, but we were also given the name Dr. Lewis Powell at the sanitarium that might give us a way in yeah. Do to talk to the uh, nephew. Yeah, Dr. Call was at Monroe's museum, and he told us about Dr. Carroll at the sanitarium, or Powell. Right, Powell, a psychoanalyst yeah. that works there. Yeah. Yeah. As a possible contact for you guys to use. Okay, so with that established, I think we will begin in the dream of Dr. Johann Muller, if it can, in fact, be called a dream. Uh, you've become more and more certain that what you are experiencing is more like a repressed memory of actual events as they occurred at Widner Library the day before. And they're just events that would fit into only a few missing hours. Before we jump into that, though, you have a thought while you're in... The amidst the stacks, the strange man speaking to you, sort of intoning those adjective-laden descriptions of everything. And the thought was that once, when you were on the dark continent, you saw a cheetah chase down and catch a gazelle. It happened in a matter of seconds. It was just a fury of motion, but then over quickly. And one thing you remember is being struck at how some prey instinct seemed to take over the gazelle, and it almost or it was almost like it participated in its own death once caught. It was seemingly docile, with the only few sounds of protest serving only to excite the cheetah, as if it were some sort of reciprocal relationship at the end. Now, in the Widner Library, you feel a kind of malaise settle over you as this man is intoning all these adjective-laden descriptions. Mm. While you do feel that your pulse is heightened, uh, your nervous system seems to have just given up. Mm -hmm. An acceptance. Yeah. <laughs> In any case, the, the man finishes his intoning, and uh, he goes over to a section of the bookshelf and picks out a sizable leather tome. And uh, if you want to roll a spot hit for me. Uh, mm, that son of a... 
You got the nine. Nine luck to push it. Oh, no, I'm not spending any luck unless I have to. Push oh, it. <laughs> well, he so just tucks close. it under his arm for the time being, but uh, he produces from his jacket with his other hand uh, that strange figurine of the toad-like creature that you picked up. And, and you have this sort of clash in your mind of, of um, living the event for the first time, but also remembering it. Mm-hmm. So it's it, Deja vu. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, I, I believe we had left off in your dream where he had asked what, you know, you were looking for and you had mentioned you were researching that symbol and that you were mm-hmm. looking into uh, ritualistic killings or sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, but he turns back to that toad-like creature and he adjusts it just so and you hear him intone in Latin, somnum manducari procreare, as he places it mm-hmm. there. Uh, what is your Latin rating? 21. Very rusty. Mm. Go ahead and roll it for me. Mm. <laughs> well, you know Somnum is uh, directly translated as sleep. The other two mm-hmm. words you're not too sure on. Uh, but he says, because you, um, or he asks you about the eye symbol, he says, this symbol, could you describe it further? Uh, bit the... Uh... Is an eye like um would uh like the eye of who is it is it like raw would that be a apt descriptor I forget what it actually looks like surrounded by three Y's right now where's our handout well we can assume that your character remembers okay, it better yeah. than us so, coming off an extended break yeah so yeah. um he says that eye symbol you seek is buried in history. Those false worshippers at the Church of Contemplation never understood whose sign they blasphemed. Avoid those unhallowed grounds. Leave Boston, Mr. Mueller, and await the grave. The which grave would I await? Oh, don't be obtuse. I think one of your age knows which grave they're awaiting. Your time is almost at an end. Why not just give up now i'm afraid that i don't want to <laughs> well i can't <laughs> it is a perilous path that you walk are you sure that you have the fortitude for it but before you can respond uh the librarian the unnamed librarian you've interacted with a few times comes up with the questioning look on his face although he is oddly and slowly and methodically eating a sheet of paper. And what he says is, Carpoth, Arum, Garwixy, Waxy, Slamoosh, Er, Er, Coinsel. And you see, like, this sort of slow, horrified expression come over his face as he's sort of reacting in confusion to his nonsense question as well. <laughs> this is par for course for librarians, so Johan is not at all confused by this. <laughs> well, in any case, he... Just he, normal <laughs> librarian speak. Right. Uh, yeah. A look of embarrassment sort of washes over this librarian's face as if to say, no, that's not quite right. Let me try again. And he says, carmonical wag lump mongols the... And then when he says the, as, as though he seized on an actual English word, he's like, the frisian frizoo free free... Free, freegum. And then he harumps in frustration. You are interrupting us, young man. <laughs> and I'll kind of almost dreamily kind of gesture him away. <laughs> yeah, and the, uh, the, the strange individual, the one that you now know where your, your knowledge of future events, events clashes with this memory that this man belongs to something he's called the consor- consortium. He says, uh, my dear Peter, you are speaking nonsense. And you've eaten your homework. Please leave us to our conversation. Uh, the librarian, with this uh, dim, horrified expression, takes another chomp out of the page and uh, <laughs> walks back down the between the bookshelves with his head low. Mm. I can see you are aged, Mr. Mueller, but are you wise? Uh, I do not know quite how to answer that. Uh, age does not bring wisdom of... Many would like to think, but neither does education. 
and currently I have plenty of both. What, what have you spent your life doing? Searching. Do others count you as wise? Perhaps only fools would count me as wise, yes. We shall see. Perhaps I should test your fortitude to allow you to continue. Would you like that, Mr. Mueller? Tests are always welcome. They, they strengthen the mental and the physical. He picks another book off the shelf, uh, and you can see on it, it says Lieber Ivanus. Johan will kind of reach his hand up. (laughs) (laughs) This is a fake. Someone placed this here. I don't know who, but it's very frustrating. It has me very vexed. And he slides it back in. And he says, as he pulls off another book, but this one is not. This is a book very important to the consortium. Not like your books, who are limited to front-to-back reading, they paint a more complete picture. Why don't you take a look? And he sets it on the table in front of you. It's unremarkable, and uh, there's no title on the binding or the cover. Yeah, I'll uh, dreamily kind of walk over, and I'll... uh, Is it an old tome, or is it the pure newish? It looks more new. It's not worn or scuffed or anything like that. Okay. So I wouldn't handle it with nearly as... uh, gentle of care as I would an older book, but still with some level of care that Johan would show all tomes and books. I'll, you'll open it with one hand and begin to flip through the pages. Okay. So, first let's start with the power roll. Okay. Now, these were going so good last time, Travis. <laughs> uh, here we go. Oh, <sighs> son of a... Let's see how he does wonder if I should push it. Can you push power rolls? Yeah, but I don't believe you can push an opposed oh, roll. contested? But okay. um, I might consider it against an NPC, just up the stakes. So, here we go. If you fail, does your mind break? I guess you could probably say something like staging up success. Yeah, so um, if you want to push it. No, no. I'll risk whatever the hell he's doing. <laughs> he already put the whammy on me once. <laughs> Okay, so you know you're quite familiar with books, and you know usually when you open a book, you can select a phrase and begin reading, and you sort of control the pace at which you take in information. You can jump around and get little bits and pieces. But with this book, as soon as you open, it's more like a force is being pressed into you. It's you're getting information from the beginning, from the middle, from the end, all at once, streams into your consciousness, almost in a visual sense. And what you see is a pool of water or sludge in a barren terrain which could be somewhere on Earth or another planet altogether. And strange beings gather around the pool. They are gray-colored, barrel-shaped beings, maybe six to eight feet in length, and some three and a half feet in diameter at the midsection, tapering to one foot at either end. The central mass displays five vertical ridges, between which are strange growths from which wing-like membranes can unfold from interior cavities. Curious orifices can be discerned at the tip of each of the serrated wings. Spaced equidistantly around the central equator of the body mass are five flexible arms, each reaching three feet long and ending in a conglomeration of small tentacles or tendrils. When not required, each arm may retract and coil itself around the body mass. The apex of the body mass tapers to a bulbous neck from which a five-pointed starfish-like head rises in horizontal aspect. The head's surface is covered in a three-inch wiry cilium, and each of the five stalks ends in a spherical orb containing an eye. Atop the head at the central point is an aperture not unlike a mouth. Poking out beneath the star-shaped head are five reddish tubes ending in sac-like swellings that can open to reveal tooth-like projections. Below the central body mass are five flexible legs, each ending in a paddle or flipper-like appendage. Overall, despite seemingly changeable color orientation, the skin appears leathery and tough. And although you can read nothing of the body language from their forms, they appear to cast their appendages towards the gray and roiling sky. 
from which appears from the mist a great shape like an inverted pyramid made of the blackest of stone or metal, but tipped by a glimmered, mirrored steel or steel-like cap. So it's like it silently comes from this low-hanging cloud cover, almost mm-hmm. to where the tip is touching the surface of this pool. Yeah. But um, with great concussive thuds, four stones about half the size of a man are fired from the pyramid ship in a cross pattern around the pool, burying themselves so deep that only two feet of the stone is visible above the ground. And then from the tip of the pyramid, a long telescoping rod begins to reach towards the surface of the pool, almost like slow motion, and it's guided by the appendages of one of these strange creatures. The rod touches then retracts, and the black pyramid ship retreats into the gray sky, disappearing without sound. And then the strange beings wander away from the pool in different directions. But that's not what's odd about this vision. What's odd is the sense of time that you're getting. That took place in a matter of seconds. But then you're watching this pool amidst this barren landscape for minutes, hours, days, years, ages, eons. The passage of time... Geological time frames were not meant to be witnessed through this, your subjective sense. It's better, you're a student of history, so it's better to think as you do that it happened all at once. Really, the only time you spread it out into sequences of events is when you're looking at dates, but most often we just think of it being done. But no, in this vision, the ages grind the terrain to even finer dust, or freeze it, or submerge it in water or blast it with fire from the sky, water again only to dry again, and on and on and on until one day algae and other early plant life appears. On and on through the roll of years with just great passages of time where nothing at all appears to happen, that it becomes difficult to hold the sense of who you are in your head. Finally, this pool, now a river, is visited by strange half-aquatic mutants who lap at its banks before returning the tall reeds from which they came. Uh, more time passes and you begin to wonder what manner of inert consciousness you are. Like a memory of infancy, you recall a vague image of a life embodied, but it could just as easily be a dream. And uh, you wake up screaming in the bed and breakfast you had rented in Salisbury, New Hampshire, and deduct Am five I sanity screaming? from your sanity. <laughs> and you're temporarily insane. Uh, what was it from the jaunt? Was it longer than you think? <laughs> longer than you think, Dad. Yep. Uh, what is that? 20. Okay, so yeah, that's um, enough to give you a temporary bout of madness. And the cool thing about a temporary bout of madness when you're away from other player characters is the scene just fades to black and we will find out what happens to you when we come back around to you. <laughs> All right. All right, so let's hop over to Whitmire. So you had done this complicated ruse to throw off any trails, and what was your move after that? So afterwards, uh, my plan was to try and get in contact with uh, Monroe, Wallace, and Mueller and give them whatever relevant relevant information that I had. Um, also, to embed myself in whatever they were doing to continue to uh, evade any pursuers. Okay. Well, if it works for Monroe and uh, Wallace, what we can have is just happy circumstance. You guys can all meet up at the Hermetic Order of the Silver Twilight. My thought process behind this is the people that are looking for me specifically aren't going to be looking wherever these, you know, sorry sacks are going to be hanging out. And with me potentially heading out of town, it might be good to have him come with me. Yeah, I know that you wanted me to steal something or acquire (laughs) something from, uh, library or school or something so yeah i would never ask you to steal anything yeah just you know i happen to find things all the time and i'm sure that i'll find whatever it is you want me to look for just laying in the street waiting to be picked up (laughs) 
Okay, so we'll say with a somewhat hunted expression on your face, um, you, uh, you were by the Hermetic Order of the Silver Twilight, and you were um, determining whether or not you should go inside. You know Monroe at least had mentioned coming back here to do some more study in their library when last you parted ways with him. So we'll say you're kind of lurking by one of the hedges, and you see Monroe and Andrews and another man. I'm not sure you met, although he looks familiar because you saw him at the dinner, uh, walking up to the Romanesque three-story building that is the Hermetic Order of the Silver Twilight. What did you want to do? Pop out of the bushes. uh, Dust myself off, and I'll go and I'll hold the door open for him. Because I'm okay. not going to be, like, I'm not going to, like, try and hide the fact that I was in the bushes either. Because <laughs> I'll just, like, pop out, <laughs> brush myself off, and then go open the door and follow him in. Just like everything was natural. <laughs> well, it might <laughs> seem quite natural to them, but I'll give a moment for Andrews and Monroe to react to your sudden appearance. Ah, my good sir, Mr. Whitmire, it is a pleasure to see you, and see you uh, taking your training so well, so seriously, in your uh, discreet endeavors. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was looking for you, so I figured this was probably the best place to catch you. I knew you were going to be wanting to see that library again. Uh, Of course, of course, and... It's always a pleasure to have you join us. This is all a nod to Mr. Andrews as well, or Dr. Andrews. Say, doctor. I'll return the nod. Good to see you again, Mr. Whitmire. What were you doing in the bushes? <laughs> oh, you know, this and that. Uh, was, uh, I have to make sure there's you know, no, uh, no way to just sneak in. Oh, check in the security, huh? Yeah. Yeah, you know, something uh, that, uh, what was his name? Not Rupert Merriweather. What was the other guy that invited us here? Oh, the police, uh, the detective Nichols? Yeah. You know, got to make sure that, uh, you know, everything's on the up and up for that. Protect his investigation. And a good man you are for double checking the security. Our safety is ever at stake in these matters. And I, for one, applaud your endeavors and your, um, intuitiveness in the in the matter was, by uh, any chance did you happen to have also come across uh, uh any information or artifacts as you were doing your part of the investigation that may have contributed to your sudden change in direction for uh security purposes um no i just uh met up with some old friends i'll kind uh, of see, like drift off in that wording hey travis so I'm not, yeah. um, I don't remember very well. Do I have a uh, reason to believe that Whitmire is the sort of person that he is? Like, did we, did we establish that in the last adventure that he's sometimes, um, on the other side of the law? Well, you, I, think- I, I believe so. I mean, you did have a character switch cause your previous one died, but your initial interaction, I suppose, with Whitmire, or an early one, is when he was trying to sneak the fat worm out of the, the tent, right. and you critical role spotted him yeah. <laughs> doing so. I mean, yeah. so you have I an think, idea of, of him at least being uh, some sort of thief. Okay. I think we also used him to help bring back the artifacts through some yeah. less than legal channels. Yeah. Well, if if you're being honest, like, Dr. Andrews has reason to believe that everyone he encountered in that journey is a criminal. Yeah, I suppose that's true. true. So, uh, Chris, I had a question for you. Um, did you want to act as Dr. Call in these scenes in which uh, he appears with these guys? Oh, he's the uh, guy that's wife died and he's not at all in mourning. Right. <laughs> yeah, I can do it, I guess. Okay. Let me uh, share him with you. Yeah, so we're here to see um, Dr. Or we're here to see James Clark, who is a fellow member of the order who's a criminal defense. I mean, that's who I want to talk to. And kind of playing up on um, Edward Call's, you know, revelation 
that uh, the uh, nephew may have been, you know, kind of hung out to dry yeah. and framed for the murder. I'll uh, say to Mr. Whitmire, and you know, good Mr. Edward Call here was the one that uh, that uh, brought up the fact that the young Dooley boy may have been uh, incorrectly uh, imprisoned for the murder of, of Mr. Dooley. And so we are going to talk to this lawyer in order to see what possible defense we may be able to present for the boy. Okay. Let me, uh, let me give you some role playing, just a few notes for old Dr. Call there. Yes. All right. Well, I think that's a fine idea. So he, um, he's, he's gregarious, maybe inappropriately. So, uh, he is inwardly torn up about his wife, but he puts on a good show. He's an Anglophile. That's the reason for his odd affectations and speech every now and then. Um, okay. Those are... He picked this up because he trained at King's College, and he just kind of thinks that they do a be- things better over there. That's the and, term uh, for people who take up a British affectation? Is that what that means? Or, they, yeah, they just have like a love for all things British. Oh, okay. Hmm. Um. And there's a few other notes on his description and stuff in the character sheet. Were you able to access that? Um, uh, I'm not... I don't think I'm seeing it. You know, there are some of those British girls that are incredibly sexy. Oh, Dr. Edward Call. There we go. NPCs. All right. So what was it I was supposed to be looking at? Oh, I, there. he just has like some descriptions and stuff. But the two things are just being uh, gregarious inappropriately. So, so... You know, for example, when um, Brandon had mentioned that his wife and daughter were dead, uh, he said, well, you then you know what I'm talking about, the relief to be unburdened by your family. You know, he, he tries to put like a positive spin on everything and often fails. Okay. I, in fact, <laughs> did not know what he was talking about. Yeah, weren't yours <laughs> murdered no, or they, something? They died of the Spanish oh. flu, but uh, okay, it's still a sore point for him, obviously. What? like a, a boastful guy or full of himself along with that? To... <laughs> um, not quite. He's trying, currently he was trying to ingratiate himself. Um, Be more humble. With these guys, you know, using whatever tact he thought would get him there. But uh, I won't add any more tips on it. I'm totally okay with whatever you roll into the character. We'll just make it part of the, part of his character exactly. from here on out. So you have fr- free reign pretty much. All right. Uh, if, there's a line that you think he won't cross. Tell me though, or oh. that he would uh, like, you know, something that he definitely would do or that you want him to do. I mean, he's an NPC, so I think you should have control over right, yeah, him more than a PC. Yeah, I can just tell you his motivation is to alleviate his uh, what he describes as boredom, but is actually really his grief yeah, by horrible, finding something to do. Depression, right? <laughs> All right. So uh, yeah, after uh, who was it? Was it? Monroe that or or Andrews that credited me with discovering the uh fact that the nephew may not in fact be the murderer. Well both Oh I've been trying to yeah. Yeah, both of we've us. been trying to play yeah. it up that it was your idea and that you're gonna be helping us with this investigation so that yeah, so um, it takes a little bit of I'll, the suspicion and pressure off of us. Yeah, I'll kind of bow my head and oh no 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 uh, uh any man worth any sort of intelligence, a fine educated man, such as the gentleman I'm surrounded with currently, could have easily pinpointed that. No problem. <laughs> well, no matter what, we, we appreciate your counsel in, in these matters, and especially some of the considerations that you've already helped us with for uh, reaching out to the good James Clark and, and uh, giving us a contact, uh, Dr. Lewis Powell at the sanitarium. You've already helped us an incredible amount on on our endeavors to come to the conclusion in this matter. Uh, he'll exhale, uh, kind of relieved uh, at when Monroe says that, <laughs> and then kind of cor- you know correct himself and make himself proper again. <laughs> what school did uh, Doctor Andrews go to? Oh, um, University of Boston or Mass. I don't okay. know what it's called. University of Mass. You're a Harvard alumni. Am I? I can't remember. That's what I had thought too. Uh, I, I do want to 
make sure that he knows i don't know if monroe had told you but i got a hold of this journal and there was this crest in here it you know maybe you would recognize it seeing as how you're your college uh educated is this where you you uh like drew the really horrible yeah like, which we we like, messed up it, on a, that because yeah. my my education was actually a lot higher than what we did so um what what i need to roll to recognize that crest mr keeper um i was just double checking for some reason i did have it in my head that you attended harvard so i think you're right i don't see it um at a scan but if you did then you'll know it immediately it's it's the harvard crest are are you showing him the poor drawing or are you describing it i'm i'm just yeah describing it to him at this point Although the one that Whitmire's describing to you includes uh, a pig's head in it, I believe, yeah. which is is not part of the standard Harvard crest, but every other every other part is correct. Uh, you could roll. Um, we'll need a hard education. Um, okay, let me. So, all right, hard education. I will roll that very soon. As <laughs> I find it. Uh-huh. Oh, nice. extreme, extreme success. success. Nice. Okay, so with that extreme success, um, sometimes the finals clubs um, do modifications to the Harvard Crest to the note that they belong to those clubs, uh, like on their, their school jackets and whatnot. That specific one belongs to a final club called Porcellian. Porcellian? Yeah, and the finals clubs are, are I suppose, what we refer to as what um you know like skull and bones and yeah and this is a drawing you made of the crest uh, this is uh this was a description that was in uh Mr. Dooley's journal about some kids who were hanging around the Corbett house which is a uh, supposedly haunted property across from his cigar shop uh, okay as, uh, I found this journal, by the way, and and if you want, I mean, you can go through it yourself, too. Yes, I'd love to. That'd the drawing all. is actually now a sand loss document, so <laughs> can, I don't know what you guys did with that. <laughs> can you spell that for me, um, Travis? The, yeah, one moment. Just uh, just put pork choppy in. And that was a, um, what did you call it, a finals group? Yeah, a finals club, but, you know, like they're usually fraternal organizations that, you know, undergraduates join to make social connections. Very much the college version of, of the Hermetic Order of Silver Twilight. Okay. Yeah, he also, uh, this is a guy that also uh, um, forked his fingers at Mr. Dooley in a queer fashion and uh, had said that the evil eye, or the eye of evil is upon him. Is when he tried to stop them from going into the Corbett house by threatening to call the police. Right. As uh, oddly enough, the kids were also back there when um, were I'm sorry, the kids were also at an old church grounds. Uh, believe about a month later, um, after some queer going on at the Corbett house, where. Some workers killed each other, and uh, an investigator broke their arm. Okay. And Dr. Call, as you are the one who has arranged um, this meeting with James Clark, a criminal defense attorney, you know he's most often found in the bar of the Hermetic Order of the Silver Twilight, and you reached out to him, and he agreed to meet you all there, just giving you that piece of information. Okay. Uh, was there a agreed upon time? Uh, you had you had um, said you were heading there, you know, right away, as is your style, okay. you know. And uh, uh, he said he would, he, to, he'd meet you there. Not to uh, interrupt this, whatever it is, but uh, that we have that meeting with uh, what was it again, Travis? Uh, James lawyer? Clark, yeah, James Clark, a lawyer, lawyer. Yeah. Uh, with uh, Mr. Clark, and I wouldn't want to keep him waiting. Uh, I'll look kind of like nervous while delivering this. I don't want to get booted <laughs> from the, the this little gathering. Right, you are, doctor. Show us the way. 
yes, uh, Mr. And or Dr. Andrews, follow me. And I'll lead the way in. Okay, let me change your map over here one moment. Okay. Should be lo loading up for you guys here shortly. Yeah, I got it. So, yeah, there you all are, although I'll have to add Whitmire. Uh, and uh, me. Well, yeah. Because I don't see anything. Uh, let me uh, give you Just look control at the map. of this token. I am. But seems as this is called a Cthulhu, I should look with my special eyes. <laughs> I think Where it was just because you didn't, your token Whitmire didn't have is... vision. Can you see anything after I hit save? Yep. Okay. Yeah, well, I was figuring it was ownership or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, I'd given you the ownership of the token, but I uh, one of the things to keep the performance hit down is to give as few tokens vision as possible. Um, so, yeah, as you guys head into the lounge towards the bar, you see a couple of, of men, presumably since they're here, part of the Hermetic Order of Silver Twilight, just discussing quietly at one of the tables. And uh, I think you guys can see James Clark in the lounge there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll... Or, Lead yep. the way. So why is he in a storeroom? He, there's a bar in there. Bar. Oh, okay. Now storeroom's this... off to the... Uh... Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Yeah, storeroom's back behind. Whitmire's taking up the bartender position. Nah. Yeah. So, uh, what are you drinking? Yeah, so Mr. Uh, Mr. Clark is almost as movie star good looks. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Thank <Yep>. you <laughs> for that. <laughs> <laughs> and you've only seen him what you met him briefly when you when you guys first arrived at the hermetic order of silver twilight and he's smoking again as he was then just that sort of perpetual uh, cigarette hanging between his fingers there and he's nursing some whiskey and he looks up at uh dr call's arrival there and uh dr call if you give me uh, an appearance or credit rating Roll, we'll see how Mr. Clark actually feels about you. All right. Uh, appearance or credit? Yes. Ooh, it's going to be credit. That's like my first success in what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Half a dozen rolls. What was it? I don't see it. Just a standard. Oh. Oh, it's because it auto whispers to the GM on. Congratulations. Yeah, I'll turn that off there. So you um, yeah, find keep it on. James Clark a fascinating character because. He has many interesting stories about the people he's represented and, you know, stories of crimes and, and all sorts of fascinating details. And for his part, he actually likes you as well because you're a rapt listener. And as a doctor, your expertise diverges quite a bit from his. And, yeah. um, you know, so he finds your stuff fascinating. You guys get along quite well. And he seems to be a pretty good fellow. One of the better ones in the order that you've met so far. A lot of people give you the cold shoulder. You're not you're not sure why, although Monroe and uh, Dr. Andrews know why, but anyhow, there you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, do we have a term for our uh, newly raised brothers in this fraternal order, or what? Uh, well, their official title is Neophyte. Um, okay. I hadn't thought of anything specifically, but if something jumps to your mind, you're welcome to call on that. No, I'm fine with that. I was just going to, uh, uh, uh what do you call, uh, like, what am I and is Clark my equal? Yeah, so you're both initiates. Okay, so would I greet him as, like, uh, anything special, or would I be Initiate able to use just... Clark. Yeah, like that, or would I use Mr.? Uh, either or, but like we, how... we could go with Initiate Clark, um... You both okay, like so, yeah. the trappings of the place, so. Okay, so yeah. Uh, Initiate Clark, allow me to once again introduce our newly raised neophyte brothers, uh, uh, Whitmire, Monroe, and of course, Dr. Andrews. Uh, they want to discuss something with you that they've been investigating. Uh, a most curious case, I'd say. Uh, really, really a good uh, bit of uh, investment worthy of your time I, I'd say, I, anyway I'll let them get to talking and I'll have something to drink <laughs> so I'll immediately walk up and hold out my hand in the way that you know we do for the secret handshake of the order there isn't does it one. look like so he's just doing a bunch of <laughs> hand jokes. no it's 
Yeah. I remember there was there was something like uh using the like no, two I middle there is. two middle fingers to like tap on their wrist or something or like something. that. Yeah. Yeah. But I uh, I think that the fact that we're all in this place is still just trying to follow uh, no, decorum. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Looks I'm like, gonna. Uh, I am gonna yeah. make drinks for anybody who asks, but I don't know what the hell I'm doing because I don't drink. So this is gonna yeah, be awesome. Uh, I'll order something, Travis. What would uh, Doctor? Uh, what is that call? Everybody call in the uh, 1920s drink. only drink whiskey, <laughs> like rot whiskey neat. Uh. Yeah, you like a, a martini because you picked it up when you were attending King's College. It was mm. popular in England at the time. What do I roll yeah. for bartending? Uh, you don't actually have to bartend unless you want to. They I have do because a... <laughs> I don't have anything to really input into the, whatever conversation they're about to have. I don't even know why they're going to talk to him. <laughs> I just showed up waiting for him. <laughs> Well, we'll just uh, you can just roll a D one hundred, and um, unless it's something where the mix is in the name, you have a five percent chance to get it right. So if somebody orders a gin and tonic, you can probably get that one right. I'll I'll ask for a gin Ricky uh, Marta- Martini, Mister Whitmire. <laughs> I don't think this is so. It's like some bourbon. <laughs> And I, I've seen people that order that, they shake it, but like, I don't, like, I know that there's some ice in there, so I'll throw some ice, some like bourbon and uh, vodka in there and then shake it up and. <laughs> yeah. I, I picture the martini like uh, a drink my sister made <clears throat> for my dad back when she was like a kid and it was just Jack Daniels. And a bunch of milk. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you just slide that across the bar. There you go. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, so something. you have a, a caramel-colored, uh, cloudy drink there, Doctor Edward Cole. Well, I, I'll, I'll be paying attention to uh, Mr. <laughs> Clark and them preparing because I'm very intent on trying to fit in. So I'm trying to gather up all information I can. Yeah, and so I won't see it, but I'll reach for it and I'll take a, a gulp. And then kind of, what was that? Set it so, down. That, that's how I learned to make them when we were in Peru. Now you've been, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Have I? No. Yes. <laughs> okay. So after Whitmire mixes some inexpertly mixed drinks for everybody, did he? Did you get even one correct? Uh, no, I got a forty-two and a forty. I only heard well, two drink orders. Uh, uh, I was just doing a gin and tonic, so that shouldn't require. Yeah, you a, managed a to get that one, but it, it's yeah, real. So I got it's, that one right. It's extraordinarily dirty. And though, I there was uh, gin, Ricky. I don't know what the Ricky part is, but I definitely got the gin into Doctor <laughs> Andrews. Yeah, it's just lime. <laughs> and, yeah, and so unless someone says something, it's going to be like gin and club soda. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's in there too. Yeah, and then lime juice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So if he sees me trying to push it forward without that, and he's like, "No, there's lime." Then I'll okay. <laughs> yeah. Put some of that in. Pretty there. easy drink. And Clark just ordered, you know, straight up scotch, just you know, like a quarter of the glass. At, but for some reason, you shook it in the mixer all by itself. <laughs> yeah. <it> in. <laughs> without rinsing it out, you know, all the other stuff he just shook in there. So it's a cloudy scotch. Got a little bit of every everybody else's odd mixtures. Yeah. Well. Uh, if but yeah, Dr. he Cole didn't think that Whitmire was a criminal. He does now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this will this will get you messed up, though. That's the point of this drinking business, ain't it? Uh, <laughs> I suppose so. Yeah. So yeah. So go ahead. Yeah, I'll introduce myself again to uh, Mister Clark, and I'll I'll try to take over the I'll try to take the lead on the conversation from. Monroe, I'll try to like break in there. <laughs> Good luck. I want to see critical successes. Make a fighting brawl rule. Um, <laughs> now, uh, Clark stands and uh, he has a very good posture um, and very good presentation. Uh, somebody used to appearing in court trying to sway jurors. 
and uh, you know he's pleased to meet you all. And uh, but I don't um, I don't understand the nature of the meeting. Call didn't really give any details, but I'm happy to have a drink with uh, my fraternal brothers. So it is nice to meet you all. Um, I'll tell him a hundred percent of everything that's happened in perfect detail and accuracy. Well, but no, that's I'll, quite a story. <laughs> I'll I'll just um. <laughs> I'll just sort of say um, the the basic over, um, you know, the basic outline of what we're doing, and then how I believe that that this uh, poor kid is being set up, and so um, that's how I'll bring it to saying. Now, as a defense attorney, Mister Clark, um, do you find anything odd about the uh, the supposed detail that he signed a confession? And then the fact that a guilty plea was not entered. Like if he had signed a confession, shouldn't that have entered a guilty plea? I mean, that's one, well, when, one detail I'm having trouble When it comes to, uh, to arraignment, uh, you still have to stand before the judge and, and enter in your plea. And it's unlikely that even his public defender would have used his own confession as the plea. And uh, if he's unwilling to speak, then Dr. Call is absolutely right that the judge would have entered a not guilty plea on his behalf. You see, a confession is not a plea. It's just a piece of evidence that will be used against him. Right. Uh, but, and so that brings me to the next point. That, and I thank you for clearing that up for me. I'm ignorant to the inner workings of the court system. But um, what do we do in situations where uh, a defendant is not shown to be capable of even communicating and then supposedly writes out their own confession. Well, confessions, retracting confessions is not without precedent. You know, uh, one thing you have to understand about police work is their job is to, you know, charge somebody with a crime, arrest them, put them in jail. Uh, their interest is not always in the defendant's best interest. And, Unfortunately, in Boston, there have been many cases that I can think of of false confessions, confessions given under coercion, and in some of those cases, or no few of those cases, they have actually stuck, even though I it seemed to me that there was successful argument by the defense that that confession was given under coercion. You see, unfortunately, class and money plays into these things, and for um, this young man who only has a public defender working for him, my hopes would not be high of a successful outcome in his case. So the first thing I would recommend is that you get him good counsel. And as to how you're going to get somebody who is apparently nonverbal to do that, I can't really say without meeting him personally or, or anything like that. Capital idea, my good friend, Mr. Clark. It's, you know, even though we've just met, I can see that you're an honorable man, and perhaps you would be willing to uh, go and meet the young man. You know, of course, of course, we would be um, looking at legal fees and compensating you justly. But you know, if the uh, you meeting the young man and providing some legal counsel would probably be a, a capital idea. Well, as to that, I would be happy to represent this young man, given that all retainer fees and legal fees are paid for. But I will not go out on a lark unless I am sure that he will accept my counsel. So without well, that assurance, and I'm not going to get the paperwork started, uh, pardon, I'm not trying to be uh, cold to this man's plight, but I do have a busy day ahead of me and a week ahead of me for that matter. Well, we do plan to go out there and visit him and see if we can break through to him. Could you um, give us some time to see if we can obtain some communication from him? Yeah, that would be great. In fact, I could have one of my associates put together some forms. If you can get him to sign those forms to accept me as his counsel, then we could skip that part altogether. Wonderful. And I had another question um, for someone as expert in the legal field as you. I have obtained, um, through just conversation, a confession from the physician who signed the autopsy report that he knowingly um, falsified it, left out some details. What would you recommend that I do with that information? Well, 
First, don't tell me anything else about it. I have to understand the source of the information or any evidence that comes in if I take his case. You see, uh, are you guys private investigators working on the matter? Uh, technically. I suppose you could call us as such. Uh, my, my interests were more around the actual circumstances of the murder, although the good humanitarians Edward Call and Dr. Andrews here uh, would also like to see the that a young man who doesn't have the wherewithal to fully understand the situation is not unjustly punished for a crime he did not commit. I see. Well, it would be better for me to be acting in official capacity before I take any other evidence into examination. I think probably if I am to be his counsel, my first step will be to file a discovery on any evidence the prosecution has, and then from there I, I would be interested in what you guys have gathered. But we have to be careful that in the manner in which you gather it. Some, in some cases with private detectives, I've found that the, the way in which they've, they've received their evidence has invalidated it. Mm, I see. But so this, um, in that specific instance, you got an admission by this coroner that he lied in his autopsy. That, that correct? That in fact he was paid to do so. Well, based off of just that, we have a he-said-you-said said situation. We don't actually have any physical evidence. That's true enough. I'll, uh... Not that that's without its merit. What was that, James? Well, I was thinking about uh, producing that check and note from the other uh, police detective, but since he doesn't want any additional evidence, I'll keep that tucked away for now. Okay. But um, I'll have an associate drop those forms off. Where, where best, or where is it best that he does that? Uh, here, I think, would be best, since this is where we. Although I will, I will offer the services of of my uh, museum as a uh, relay point as well. So you can send messages there, and I will be checking in periodically and conveying any messages found to the rest of the group as I meet with them. And I'll, you know, take out my my flyer and hand it to him always trying to you know <laughs> push my museum okay yeah he'll um take it and sort of turn it over look at it and then he'll set it on the bar counter is there anything else i i'll get back to the office and have my associate get to work right away he should get those forms together within the hour and can deliver them here i suppose will be the best that would be most appreciative mr clark and may i say that your reputation for legal counsel has you know not done you justice. Oh, <laughs> save the flattery. It's it's all right. I've really done nothing yet. No, no, no. I I truly believe in uh, giving people credit where credit is due. And you know, even though this has been a brief conversation, your help has been most most appreciated. Don't mention it. And he uh, drains the last of his scotch and uh, sees himself out, which leaves you or in the bar to determine what the next move is. Around what time of day is it now? So you have, it would be late afternoon. Uh, you guys do have an arrangement to have dinner with uh, Detective Wayne Nichols here shortly. Okay. Well, gentlemen, what's next? What are we off to now? What investigation are we going to fling ourselves into? Uh, I think what's it, next is it, uh, dinner with Doctor or with uh, Detective Nichols, and then. Try and get in a, get in to see uh, Mr. Dooley's nephew. Yeah, actually, well, Doctor Powell, uh, who was who Doctor Call told us he knows at the sanitarium, would be the first person to meet there, and then after perhaps we can try to meet with the boy as well. My good sirs, may I make a suggestion? Uh, perhaps the good two doctors are more suited to going to the sanitarium while. Uh, Mr. Whitmire and myself head up to Miskatonic University to follow up on a lead on, you know, the potential occult references to the murder of Dr. Dooley. Uh, I have a feeling that Mr. Whitmire would not object to taking a short trip out of the city. Yeah, as, uh, I'd like to leave some stuff with you, though, Dr. Wall or Dr. Andrew, as that would be the uh, journal from Mr. Dooley, along with a envelope. 
that has a letter and a check. Oh, okay. Was, uh, Where did you find these? Um, I I got these from uh, what was that other detective's name? The detective Nichols' partner. Yeah, it was um, Fallon. Fallon. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Detective Fallon. <laughs> Wink. Yeah. As uh, I believe that the the note though, um, is, I mean it's it's initialed F W, which I had uh, taken to believe that it was. I'm trying to find my journal here with it. What it was a check for how, for what? Um, I just shared services it with rendered. Oh, you shared it. Okay. The handout is called unmarked envelope. Yeah, I believe that this is from Francis Walsh, though, who's a uh, a very dangerous individual. Is he a like a a public figure in the area, almost like a a Capone or what, Travis? Yeah, right. He would, um, in certain circles, he would have notoriety. Um, mm. As far as the layman goes, he there would have been a couple front page. Uh, Headlines about exonerations, you know, like uh, out, yeah, he's he's gotten out of some criminal charges that people thought were going to stick, but they didn't. <laughs> Represented uh, by James Clark, no, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you believe that this is a check from from Slick Frank? <laughs> Sorry, couldn't think of anything. Yeah, um, that that is I mean, it doesn't really about, surprise right? me that that he's got. You know, detectives on his payroll. As, uh, I don't know now, why he would. He's merely involved in tax evasion. Mr. Whitmire, <laughs> what what were the circumstances surrounding your um, acquisition of this envelope? Did, uh, did Detective Nichols gave, give it to you? Uh, yeah. Or, I mean, Colin? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I went over <laughs> and politely asked for the, uh, for the journal... Uh, telling him that I had been hired as a private detective and would like to follow it up. He said that it was probably a waste of time, but he gave me that, and inside it was more of like a bookmark. That envelope was in there. Oh, what do you want me to roll for that like, lie? <laughs> would it be psychology <laughs> to uh, counter? <laughs> um, uh, fast talk? <laughs> well, generally we try to do the uh, the player versus player type stuff. We'll just role play it, but if... um. If you guys do want a role to determine how you feel about it, we can do that. I'm just, because uh, he's an NPC, so I think it should be determined, like my character that I'm currently playing is an NPC, so I think his should be determined by role. Okay. What about you, uh, uh, Andrews and Monroe? Oh, I know he's lying. Yeah, he knows. <laughs> I told him the truth of it, is that I snuck yeah. in and stole uh, it, yeah, right. I'm just hoping he keeps his mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, he knows that my... Uh, Moral quandaries are non-existent when it comes to stealing for uh, for our benefits. Well, yeah, go ahead and roll that fast talk out there, James. And you can't. It's not a. Push. It's not a fumble. So yeah, you can push it pretty close though. All right. Yeah. So I. I guess the the drawback is that they would immediately know without having to roll. That work. An assassin's yeah. bullet rips right, through the yeah. window and takes you. <laughs> it was uh, that all of the, our evidence catches on fire. <laughs> yeah, come on, crit success. Uh, uh, you got it. It's pretty close. But yeah, he got a regular success. So, if, uh, Andrews, if you want to see through that, and same with you, Dr. Call, you just have to beat his regular with a psychology roll. Okay. And then isn't one of the properties oh. of Fast Talk that eventually, as people like really think through it, that they will kind of come to the conclusion that it was not true? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, those misgivings, yeah, that exactly is how it works. But I figure it's going to take a while for old Edward Call to <laughs> think through it. Yeah. yeah, He wants to believe. Yeah, he's caught up in the excitement. Part of him probably doesn't care. All right, so since it's late afternoon, you guys have a short time to refresh yourselves um, before your dinner appointment with Detective Wayne oh, Nichols. yes, I am... I'm feeling rather hungry. I can't wait for this this dinner. Although they all uh, look around, <laughs> seeing if he uh, succeeded in slipping into the <laughs> dinner invitation. I'll leave that up to you guys. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with him. I mean, he's helping with the investigation, and he's actually been way more useful than I than 
then welcome to the team, Doctor Call. <laughs> well, but you're kind of replacing one old bald guy with another one. So. I'll, I'll spend the t- intervening time reading through Dooley's journal. And I okay. was going to head up to the library to see if I could find anything more about the eye. And uh, I'll uh, try and pull Whitmire with me. I was going to follow you because I want to know what I'm stealing. Okay. Um, but yeah, the first conversation I, I'll broach with him is uh, asking him if he needs a safe place to sleep tonight. As long as so, it isn't that museum. I mean, well, you know, my, my home and my museum are, are pretty much the same thing. You know, I have a, a spare bedroom above place creeps me out after Peru, man. Ah, yes. Uh, But once you get used to it, then it becomes home. The occult no longer causes fear, but rather fascination. But of course... Fear of uh, the the occult. Uh, It's it's fear of truth. I mean, you know what we saw. Yes, yes, I know. And, And I've come to terms with it. And, you know, the knowledge that that is out there is just a a grand journey for me and my mind whenever I, I truly stop to think about it. What uh, else you know may what we I did, not though. know or understand? Yes. How, yes do you, and, how do you get away from double-crossing a god? Well, for one, I I, uh, I can tell you from personal experience that it is a terrifying thing, but uh, as so much and so far, the... God has not come after either one of us, so I believe that we may be safe for now. As to the future, who knows what it holds. Well, if there's anything that can take my mind off of that, is, uh, what do you need from this university? Uh, uh, I was approached by a member of, of the Order to uh, go and speak with a good doctor about the, uh, the symbol and some of the other occult things that happened around Doctor. Uh, Mr. Dooley's murder, someone that may be able to help us. And he happens to have a tome that could be very useful, not just to us, but to the entire order that he has stubbornly refused to even let anyone else take a look at. Okay. I figure that out of all the people, if I can't convince him to allow us to do it in uh, as a favor to us, that you might be able to help us acquire it in whatever other means come across your mind. Yeah, so I can uh, I can definitely help out. I'll just uh, kick back in one of the ch- um, the chairs that are up there. Read like picture books. Okay, so we will um, fade on this group uh, on the conversation between Whitmire and Lance Monroe, and then our vision will open up on a, a large, wide river. Um, anybody who's familiar with the area would know that it's the Miskatonic River, and it's a particular section of it that flows um, pretty deep, but it also looks gentle on its surface, and it has some slight sloping banks that go down to the edge of the water. And there we see the bedraggled form of Johann Mueller with his uh, feet dangling in the water, but he's mostly up on the bank, and inexplicably... His boots and his socks are missing, and the bottom part of his pants are torn around the hem there, and uh, he wakes. So, Mr. Mueller, you wake, your eyes blinking, to the uh, the noon, or maybe even past noon, by the position of the sun in the sky. And it takes a moment, but eventually it comes to you that you are on the banks of the Miskatonic River, and you can see some distance the uh, steeples and the other structures that signal that you are just on the outskirts of Arkham, Massachusetts. Uh, now, uh, as, you, uh, as you sort of come to your senses, uh, you feel, you know, s- that you're clutching something in your hand. Not heavy, you just feel like these strands wrapped around your fingers. And, uh, yes, there you are. I'll, uh, I'll set up. I'll adjust my glasses if they're still on my face. Uh, by I'll... some miracle, they are, although one of the uh, lenses is chipped. Uh, this was new. I'll uh, look down and open or and open my hands and see what I, I'm clutching. You know, uh, you immediately recognize it as hair, you know, like quite a handful of it. Um, and at first it's just odd, but with with some rising horror, 
you see that there is a bit of scalp attached to a cluster of the hair in your hand. And furthermore, oh. as you kind of smack, you know, your the morning taste out of your mouth, uh, you feel a strand of hair like stuck in between your teeth. Oh no. <laughs> I'll shake the hair from my fingers oh, and I'll start pulling at the strand of hair between my teeth to get that out. Okay. And there's a bundle. It looks like your coat uh, with something bulky wrapped inside of it. Oh, all right. Uh, let's go. Hopefully the hair's from my own head, but if not, we probably got a dead hooker's head here. This was what your right. wife was trying to warn you about why she wanted you to stay home. Hmm? Uh, I think he's thinking of... Um, Charles? Yeah. Uh, or Dr. Call. Right. Yeah. has never been married. <laughs> well, this is what she would have wanted you to stay home for in your old age. Mm. I should have been married. Anyway, yeah, I'll go over to the... I'll kind of crawl, I guess, over to the bundle and uh, open open it up or unwrap it with shaky, shaky hands. It's probably cold. Well, it's like, no, it's summer, so we're good there, okay? Yeah, so um, uh, if they weren't shaking, they do begin to shake when you unwrap and reveal the object within, which is a, you know, very old, very ancient um, bound tome. That has the Latin De Vermis Mysterious on the cover. And that is where we will end today. <laughs> nice. nice. Thank you, Thank Travis. You, Travis. Yeah. Thanks for playing, <laughs> Thank guys. Thank you. Um, let's... Uh, um, I don't know. I've got to look back through my notes. Uh, I think you're the one... You're talking about the one that... Um... This has been a Death Watch production. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.